Who said that? <laughs> God's good. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your amazing grace, for your goodness, your love, your faithfulness, Lord. And we just thank you this day that you are just moved by your spirit in our hearts and lives. Lord, I just confess my complete dependency on you this day. But God, I just thank you, Father God, that you just work grace in our hearts and this time, Father. Give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to say to us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Jess not here with us this morning. She's, um, she's got a bit of a headache. A rough night last night, so that's where she is. She sends her apologies. <clears throat> okay, the leadership. Sick. <laughs> the leadership had on our hearts the last uh, yeah, for the next number of weeks to share on this uh, theme of the restorative um, restorative aspect of our salvation. Okay, and uh, the Greek word for salvation, um, and I'm going to say this in Greek, is sozo, right, Daph? Is that some of that? It's got a D in it, but it's actually not, you know, we pronounce it that way. Sozo, okay. But, um, and, and from the Vines Dictionary, it means to heal, healing, recover, save, saving, whole, holy, wholesome. It's got a really good ring to it, hasn't it? The thing is this, the minute that we accepted Christ Jesus as, as our Lord and Saviour, we entered into eternity. Okay, we embraced Christ. We said, yes, you are Lord. I, I believe on you. You're the Son of God. You're the Lord, the Savior. I ask you into my life. The minute I did that, the minute I believed, I was destined to eternity. I've actually entered into eternity. I'm in eternity right now with my God. Okay? And, uh, but the thing is this, that as a result of his sacrifice and my relationship now with him, He's now able to work a work of grace in my life. And through this relationship, I'm made whole. I find healing and recovery and restoration. It's ongoing. Okay? I'm saved and I'm being saved. Our God is a God of redemption, reconciliation and restoration. It's always His heart to restore. His heart is to restore. He's a restorative God. He so longs for restoration. Is this a bit loud or something? I'm a bit... Feel a bit okay. Is that okay? <clears throat> Through the finished work of the cross and the shed blood of our God and Savior, we're unable to experience salvation, forgiveness, and reconciliation with the one who knows us best and loves us most. We're able to enter into a loving and intimate relationship with Him. And through this relationship, the restoration of our soul. And I've always looked at the soul as being the mind, the will, and the emotions. That's the way I see that, Okay. Probably a bit, Ned might see it a little differently, but that's the way I see it. And the thing is this, one thing about my mind, you know, my thought life, my believing rules me. What I believe to be true of my God, the way I believe He sees me or views me, will determine my relationship with Him, the way I respond to Him, will determine the way I see myself, it will determine the way I see others, view others, how I view them. The choices I make in this life, you know, my will, the choices I make, the, the emotion life I live, and ultimately the, my physical well-being. It's all through that relationship. How do I view God? How do I believe He views me? Okay? Because see, my God, for instance, as I used to as a young Christian, as a God with a big stick, and never so covered that so well last week, but legalism, you know, we were born into that part of the time, the time of the church, it was a dreadful time, you know, 
and uh, I saw the guy was a big stick. I had to do things to always be striving to get his approval, earn, his va- earn value, earn, earn worth to what I did, just like my dear old natural dad. You know, it was a terrible time. But now I see, no, my God, I don't see him that light. I see he's a God who's gracious and loving and kind and just wants the best for me. Doesn't place expectations on me. Desires the best for me. And he's always there to encourage me. Okay? It's a wonderful place. And you guys, you young guys who are a Christian today, who have been born in, into the kingdom or into right with Christ, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, you are so blessed. <laughs> you are so blessed. Okay? Because we've come into a place of absolute grace. The first chapter of the book of Nehemiah, and it's kind of good that it's happening this way because I realize Nehemiah's doing Nehemiah on Sundays at Billy, and I'm going to sort of throw in this morning down here, so it'll probably work quite well in that way. So, um, in the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah, we see there's a, a great foundation laid with regard to the broken down walls of Jerusalem, how these walls were restored. The city of uh, and its surrounding walls had been destroyed by the Babylonians under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, Around 539 BC, the first of those exiles returned. I think it was under Cyrus, the Persian king, and they, and they came back to Jerusalem. About 100 years after that, we find this guy, Nehemiah, that God raises up to be the one who would restore. They see those walls restored around Jerusalem. Nehemiah means uh, God has comforted. Okay, that's, that's his name. He's used by God to bring restoration to the city's broken down walls and protection from its enemies. That's why wars are in place. You know, these days it doesn't quite work that way. But in those days, that was the way they would protect the city. They put walls around the city, protect the walls. Although these walls referred in that time, or here in Nehemiah, to physical walls and were necessary for Jerusalem's protection, there are spiritual principles we get out of this book. Principles get out of the book of Nehemiah that that can relate to us personally for the rebuilding of walls in our lives. Because you say, oh, you know, I mean, you guys, but I came into my relationship with Christ quite damaged, okay? And I was vulnerable to the enemy's attack. And uh, so if I apply these principles, there can be a rebuilding of these walls in my life. Proverbs 25, 28 from the NIV reads, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. The ESV, a man without self-control, is like a city broken into and left without walls. Just throw this out there, a bit of feedback. What are some of the areas or some examples we might find in lives, and don't look at the person beside you, okay, where there may be lack of self-control, okay? Some some areas that people have find difficult in the areas of self-control. Come on, feedback. Some bit of feedback. Alcohol, okay? Alcohol, drug addiction, addictive behavior, okay? Compulsive, anger, anger. You're always an expert at that, okay? Okay, anger, okay? Let's go on some more. What was that? Did you say lust? Joel said lust. I love the truthfulness. Yeah, keep it coming. <laughs> Compulsion. <laughs> spending. Excellent, Rosie. Okay, no control over spending. It can be self-pity. It can be, you know, can be uh, addictive behavior. It can be worry. It can be anxiety. It can be criticism. It can be just a whole heap of stuff. I know you guys aren't tainted with any of those things, okay? But the thing is this, you know, 
I stand alone. Okay. The thing is this. You know, there are areas in our heart where we lack self-control and it gives the enemy access to our life. Okay, so we look at some principles this morning out of Nehemiah that will show us how we can reconstruct those areas in our lives, okay? And Nehemiah, I was going to get someone to read this for me because it's a long passage, but I'll do it myself, okay? Here we go. <gasps> now I have Nehemiah verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people of the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by the great strength of your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and the prayer of your servants, who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, I was the cupbearer to the king. And the thing is this, he in actual fact received answer to that prayer uh, and he was given great favor with the king that he was serving as a cupbearer too and he re received provisions. He received uh, the provision to build, reconstruct the, uh, the, uh, the, the gates of the, of the walls. Okay? He received an entourage to get him there safely. He received favor with the king. He had time out, a long time out to construct these walls. He, got, he was blessed of God. God answered his prayer. Okay, so but the thing is, verse 4, we see here, Nehemiah fasts and prays. He earnestly sought his God through prayer. He earnestly sought his God through prayer. He acknowledged that his answer lay in his God, not in the philosophies, the wisdom, and the strength of man. Okay? He didn't look to man. He looked to his God. Our God has the answer for our every circumstance. It's in Christ. Okay, that's where we look. When I seek my God in prayer, I'm acknowledging my dependence on Him. Lord, I can't, you can. I'm unable, but you're able. Okay, that's what I'm confessing through praying. When people don't pray, they're saying, well, I can do this on my own strength. I don't need God. You say? Okay, so Lord, I'm utterly reliant on you for your wisdom, your wisdom, your intervention, and the grace to do whatever you call me to do. See, God would always grace His people to do whatever He calls us to do. Always gives us the grace. If he asks us something of us, he'll always give us the grace. We need to commit all we do to our God in prayer. Everything. Right, Timmy? Okay. The thing is this. If I can't commit it, I shouldn't be in it. Golden rule. If I can't commit, I shouldn't be in it. Okay? We would save ourselves lots of pain if we would leave, if we apply that rule to our life. Nehemiah appeals to the God of all creation. The one who is in covenant relationship with the one whom he fully trusted. You know, we too are now, as God's children, in a position of appealing to him on the grounds of covenant relationship. When our Savior went to the cross, 
He shed His precious blood to bring us into blood covenant relationship. Everything was accomplished on our behalf on that cross. Everything was accomplished. The work of the cross is a finished work. It's an amazing thing. My part in that deal is simply to believe and trust in my God and my Savior. What an amazing place I am in that relationship, in covenant. You know, the thing is this. Through covenant, every promise is mine. Every promise is mine. I've been given authority in Christ and His name as a covenant-related child. Okay? We've got to live in that place. Never shares heaps on covenant. It's an amazing thing to get a revelation on covenant. Okay, so we can appeal to our God on those grounds. Verse 6. Nehemiah confesses the sins of his people, his personal sin and the sins of his fathers. You know, confession of sin. Hear what I'm saying right now. Confession of sin. Actually, repeat this after me. Confession of sin is the opposite to justification. Okay, the exact opposite. Like right from the outset, first man, first woman, original sin, what did they do? They blamed each other. They justified their position rather than confessing their sin. Things could be a whole lot different if they confessed their sin. They got it right if they were accountable. Okay? Without acknowledgement of where we're at and how we've arrived, there can be no repentance. How do I get this place? Okay? How do I get out of this place? Lord, I look to you. I turn around. I look to you. In 1 John 1, 8 to 10, we read, If we claim we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word has no place in our lives. Let me just say this. Confession and repentance are not for God's benefit. They're actually for my benefit. Okay? His kindness leads me to repentance. It's not the fear of a big stick. I turn to God because I love Him, because I know He loves me, because He went to the cross and gave His life for me to bring me into relationship. When I fall short, I damage that relationship. When I fall short with my little wife, which I do occasionally, (laughs) you guys can't write this, but, but we do occasionally. You know, I hate it when I'm not in right relationship. When there's a wall there, you know, I hate that. And so, you know, I've got to keep a short account. I keep a short account with God. Yeah, you know, the, the whole thing is repentance is a, is a daily lifestyle for the believer. We keep short accounts. We fall short. Okay, we get it right. Okay, and it's a wonderful way of living a life of freedom. It's clear that Nehemiah had little to do with the predicament he found himself in or his fellow Jews found themselves in. I mean, Nehemiah wasn't even thought of when all this stuff went down with his people being taken away into captivity. He wasn't even thought of in those days. Yet he appreciates his own shortfalls. He includes himself. Perhaps if he'd been back, then he might have been no different. I don't know, but he includes himself. He's accountable. And so the thing is, many find themselves damaged and in circumstances that were not the result of their personal wrongdoing. Okay, that's right across the board. History determines so much of where people are at. Okay, many are victims of their past. They've been damaged through things done to them, whether that be as a child, a little child, yeah, years and years ago, or even just yesterday. For some, it might be the pain of rejection or loss and grief. For others, it can be abuse, abandonment, or injustice. There's so many things. 
How if we choose to blame our past and others for our present shortfalls or our attitudes and behavior rather than be accountable, okay, the past will continue to dictate and rob us of our future. You know what I'm saying? It's not what's been done to us that's the determining factor as to whether or not we live as overcomers, but what has been done for us on our behalf. Christ went to that cross to bring us into intimacy with himself, to bring us to a place of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. We've been given a new identity in Christ. Okay? We've been given new birth through his spirit. We're new creatures in Christ. A number of years ago, I was contacted by a cynical, angry woman. She phoned up this night. Oh, she shared this once before, I think. She, con- she, she rang up this night, and, and uh, oh, this day, actually, she rang up and she said, uh, she said, I've been reading what it says in the Bible. I have to forgive. And she was angry, man. She was hopping. And I said, yeah, that's right. I mean, caught me completely. I didn't know this person. Just the person in the phone. I said, well, that's right. That's what the Bible teaches. And she said, if you knew what that mongrel so-and-so father did to me, man, she was cynical. She was spewing. All this stuff came out. My heart went out to her. I said, can I just ask you to stop for a second? I said, listen. Can I hear children in the background? She said, I said, are they your kids? She said, yes. I said, you're married? She said, yes. And I said, can I just suggest this? It's not what's been done to you back there, but because you're not prepared to forgive, it's going to destroy your marriage and your children and your life. Okay? She needed to know. She needed to know a love of God, the love of God. What had been done to her was inexcusable. It damaged her dreadfully as a child. Trust had been betrayed. She'd been abused by the very person called to protect her and love her. Okay? The one who's called to provide safety for her had abused her. What took place back then was now damaging her relationship with the family in the present and would rob her marriage and her children of the, just the blessing that God would want for their lives. She knew what, was, what God's word said regards forgiveness. But she was unwilling to. Instead, she just justified her behavior, her anger, her resentment, her self-pity, you know, the cynicism. You know, cynicism, it just undealt with offense, okay? Offense not dealt with right, you know, correctly. But she knew what God's word said, but she justified herself for position. She'd failed to see the anger and bitterness she carried was as destructive or actually more destructive than the actual abuse that she'd suffered at the hands of this father. And though she had no control over what had happened to her in the past, she needed to be accountable for her response in the present. She had a choice to forgive and move on or to continue to allow the pain of the past to determine her future. And none of those she was called to love and nurture and set an example to. She desperately needed a revelation of the cross and the love and the forgiveness of her through our loving Saviour. She needed to be in relationship with the one who loves her so much, and the one who gave her the grace to all he asks her. Yeah. God always asks us to do things for our good. He says, I want you to do this, it's always for our good. I should forgive that person, it's for our good. Okay? She needed a revelation of the love of the perfect Heavenly Father, the Father our, our Savior came to introduce us to. Our Savior came to introduce us to His Father, our perfect Father. The tragedy is that many of us have been influenced by you know, imperfect father figures. I know Chrissy is so secure 
because he had a wonderful dad. She says this to me so often, you know, and I love that. But a lot of us didn't have that security in an actual dad. And I'll guarantee Chrissy's dad had a few imperfections, not too many, but a few, okay? The thing is, our Father, our Heavenly Father is perfect. He's perfect. You know, what's vital is a revelation of His heart. That's why I always look to Luke 15, because I just see there the, the Father heart of God is brought in such an amazing way. But pray for a revelation. God, give me a revelation of your heart. You know, open my, my heart up to receive a revelation of your heart. Jesus came to introduce us to a Heavenly Father. You know, everything we see in Christ is a reflection of the Father. You know, I was a product of a broken family. My mother, in her wisdom, when I was about, I guess, about four years old, and my dad was hospitalized, decided this is the point of time to exit stage right. Okay, so what she did was pack all the kids' uh, stuff up, add little bags up, and send them three different directions, never to be restored. Okay? And uh, I lived with my dad for, and my grandma for quite a few years, which is a great time of my life, but a sad time of my life. And the thing is that as a result of that, as a result of that, you know, I suffered all sorts of issues in my life. I was full of self-pity. I was full of uh, worry. You know, I was always anxious. I was always forever trying to get the approval of men. I made so many dumb decisions throughout life, always trying to win men's approval because I was, you know, so wanting approval. You know, I had anger issues. Man, there was always issues. When I came to Christ, man, I was a bit of a mess, quite frankly. You might say, well, he still looks a bit of a mess. Okay. That's what some of you have been over 55. Thing is, you know, that was where I was at. And I'll never forget one evening, Jess not here, but you know, she won't mind me saying this. You know, one evening we had one of those little altercations. We're talking about 30 plus years ago now. I was just a, a baby Christian. We had this altercation. And uh, man, I was, and, and, and John, I got a bit huffy. Okay. And the thing is, I left the house that we're saying, the, the flat we're in, and I head off down the beach, which wasn't that far away. I'm down there at night and I'm, I'm huffy and I'm upset and I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm full of self-pity, okay? And I said quite defiantly, you know, I said, Lord, I said, she doesn't care. And instantly he said, neither do I. <laughs> and it's so clear, I can still hear that voice, neither do I. And in that moment I realized, in that moment I realized if the loved one, my loved ones didn't care. If my God didn't care about my self-pity party, there was only one person. That was me. And guess what? The only one who was welcome to that party was the devil himself. Okay? And he was going to access to this heart. Now, I had a choice that night. I could have continued on and justified myself for the way I felt for the rest of my life. Okay? Or I could have chosen that night to shove another brick in that wall. Praise God for his grace. You know? Our past doesn't need to influence our future. We identify with people who've gone through tough times. We're called empathize with people. You know, the thing is this, you know, bad things have happened to a lot of people. But the worst thing you're going to do is sympathize with them. I'm so glad my, life, my little wife didn't go, oh, you, you poor, poor boy, you poor, poor boy. I'm so glad she didn't do that. Man, I'd still be in that rotten hole. You know, we're not called to sympathize with people. We're called to walk in their shoes, get alongside them, love them, and point them to Christ, who is the healer. Okay? Sympathy fuels self-pity or worldly sorrow. And 2 Corinthians 7.10 teaches, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Okay? Self-pity brings death. 
There are multitudes within the body of Christ who have suffered and been damaged through incredible rejection from people that were called to love and support them. Their hearts are wide open to the enemy's lies, often wrongly perceiving others as rejecting them when so often those others aren't even aware of them. Now I'm going to take a bit of a leap of faith here, but Neville knows I love him. Okay. A few weeks ago, Neville won't remember this, this incident. Neville's got this, I don't know, those terab- terabytes, is it? Like That's pretty big, isn't it? He's got this mind. He's got this terabyte mind. Like I've got a... It's like a one gig or something. That's about me. Okay? Amen. Like Neville was this day, he was in cyberspace. He was just after prayer meeting. Amen. He was so out there. And I walked and said, Neville, I said, what do you think? And he went, huh? Now Sue's seen that a million times in there, probably every day. The thing is that, you know, now if I was insecure, I thought Neville was avoiding me. No, he was in a different, a different planet. I said, what are you? And I said, I said, <laughs> I said, what are you thinking? He went, and like it was a meltdown. I'm like, oh, huh? what am I thinking? I said, you think about five things at once, don't you, Never? He went, yeah. You know, people are usually more concerned with themselves than avoiding me. You know, and we've got to get a hold of that. When we've been rejected, we need to see our God does not reject us. We come to one who loves us and accepts us and approves of us. You know, he loves us. You know, not that long ago, I was with a young man. And a couple of guys know this young fellow. You know, he's struggling a bit. And they, we're praying for this young man. I'm just going to share this because I think it's a good thing to write to. You know, and he was struggling heaps. And I was sitting with this young man. And, 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 and as people walking past, he would, his face was a little contorted. And I said, I knew he was really distracted. I was, wasn't getting through. And I said to him, what are you thinking in this moment? He said, I'm really worried about what they're thinking about me. I said, who... Who? He said, those people walking past. Seriously, the people walking past are 20, 30 feet away. They didn't even see him. And it turns out he'd been terribly rejected. He'd been abandoned by his own dad, left in a, in a strange city in the world, just abandoned. You know, and I said, listen, can I just say this to you? Every time those thoughts come, you cease to think of this. It doesn't matter what other people say. And I'll just say, everyone in the church say this right now. Okay, after me. Repeat this after me. It does not matter what others think of me. I don't look to them for my approval. All that matters is what God thinks of me. And I have His approval. Okay? That's all that matters. It's not what others think of us or say of us. It's what God thinks of us and says of us. And He always says good of us because we're His kids. And you don't touch a God's a kid. Okay? thing is this, that's our God. He loves us. He approves of us. We can know that in our heart. It doesn't matter what other people think. Throughout the book of Nehemiah, during the building of those walls, there are many instances where the Nehemiah's enemies sought to intimidate him, demean him, threaten him, seek to engage him in conversation, but he wouldn't have a bar of it. He wasn't going to go there. He wasn't going to enter into conversation with the enemy. He wasn't going to listen to what the enemy said of him or the hopelessness of the situation. His focus was on his God. And he encouraged his fellow workers with the thought that God would give them success. God would fight for them. God would enable them to finish the task that was before them. Fix their eyes on our God, our mighty God, our awesome God. Okay? His trust in his God was unwavering. 
It's God's indwelling spirit who empowers us through relationship, graciously encourages and enables us to overcome. He's our teacher. He leads us and guides us, never drives or coerces us. Hear what I'm saying right now. If you're being driven, it's not the Spirit of Christ. He doesn't coerce us. He loves us. He leads us. He's a good shepherd. He guides us. Okay? He never forces us. He's a perfect gentleman. That's the Spirit of my God. He convicts us, but never condemns us. He convicts us for my good. He puts his finger on areas of my heart because I need that conviction. You know, I was thinking, you know, when I first started my Christian journey, you know, all these issues in my life, you know, I thought, you know, I'm now a Christian. That's good, okay? Now I'm saved. And there was an immediate conviction to deal with the things like drugs. Well, I had no real desire for drugs from any point on. I'd seen what it had done to my life. So that wasn't a, real, a big issue, quite frankly. I had a bit of a foul mouth. Well, that didn't take long to get sorted out, okay? Still blew it occasionally, but God saw that one out. You know? There was, and I thought, you know, oh, yeah, I'm going real good, Okay? But the thing is, I've found over the years, he just peels back another leaf. There's another little issue there. And you go, it's an attitude. You're a motive. And then he deals with the things that are so much deeper. You know, because he's about that. Because he wants to work this work of grace in my life. Okay? For my benefit. Okay? He's cleaning me up. He's taking a while, but he's cleaning me up. Okay? The Holy Spirit always directs us to the Savior. He always points us to the cross, not to the rubble. And I love this. This is fantastic. I'm not quite sure what this thing is. Seed. I thought it was an onion or something. But, but, but it's lovely. It's brilliant. Okay. Thanks, Roy. You've been those over too, mate. It's fantastic. Okay. What, like that city walls? Amazing. Okay, the thing is this. Okay. He doesn't point us to the rubble. He points us to the cross. The cross looks like it's got moss on it, doesn't it? It's pretty old, that cross. And again, the thing is this. He points to the cross. He never, you know, he always encourages us that we are to be in relationship. You know, he, he never ever, you know, puts this pressure on me to do things to be in relationship. It's not what I do to be in relationship. It's what Christ has done to bring me into relationship. It's not my works that I earn approval through. He never calls me to do anything to, to earn his approval because I have his approval. The minute you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he went stamped. Okay? Whoop, you're done. Approved of. Don't ever doubt that. Don't try and do things to earn approval. When you do that, all you do is take away from the finished work of the cross. Okay? It's being open to his convictions and a willingness to obey that we'll, we'll find peace in our storms and a joy in our trials and we'll find ourselves being fruit-bearing. God's Spirit convicts us to deny self. He's our counselor and he always convicts me to deny myself, to put Christ first, to put others first. Okay. Whereas worldly counseling is always self-focused. It's on self-improvement, self-centeredness. That's worldly counseling, as opposed to our counselor, the Holy Spirit, who encouraged me to look away from self and look to Christ. You know, Paul boasted in his weaknesses. I love that. You know, what do people do this day? Well, where we boast in our what? Our strengths. Uh, where's 
Where's Richard? No, not that, that, that Richard. He boasts in Hawthorne. Can you get that? Oh, Hawthorne. Okay. <laughs> okay, the thing is this. We don't boast in our strengths. Paul boasted in his weaknesses. Why? Because he realized God's grace was upon him and he's become a witness. And his witness, Christ was his strength. Okay? And so the thing is, you know, we call to not focus on weaknesses. The devil would have us focus on weaknesses. He'd have us focus on himself. Far too many Christians spend time focusing on the enemy. Hey, one of the words for worship is to pay attention to. I don't worship the enemy. I worship my Savior. Okay? And I focus on the, on the devil. Okay? I need to be aware of his schemes, but I don't focus on him. He'd have us obsessed on the problems we face, the circumstances we find ourselves in, our shortfalls, inadequacies, our failures, the failures of others. He'd have us focus on those places. We're not called to focus on any of these things. We're called to focus on Christ, the cross. Okay, that's our focus. Hebrews 12, 2 to 3 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of, the, of God. Okay? Let's just say this. The cross was never Christ's focus. It was what lay beyond the cross. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He had a bigger picture in mind. Guess what he had in mind? Turn to the person beside you and say he had you in mind. He had you in mind. Brian, he had you in mind. Yeah, he, he had us in mind. He had his bride in mind. The cross is about the method of restoration. It's through his incredible sacrifice that he had us in mind. Okay? Reconciliation. Restoration. Okay? Obsessions occur when a problem, trial, or temptation, or offense becomes our main focus. We can get obsessed with stuff. The thing that obscures our vision from seeing our Savior in the situation we find ourselves in and seeing a greater picture, that could become an obsession. I'm going to get my volunteer Donnie to come out for a sec. We've done this once before in our link script Friday a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> okay. So um, in Psalm 34, 1b to 3, we read this. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise should be continually in my mouth. I've forgotten something here. Just a second. Don't talk to the person beside you. Do not be distracted. Whatever done. Sorry about that. Thank you. Whoops. Good you, Donnie. Almost there, mate. Not quite. His praise should be continually in my mouth. I'll start again. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise should be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Now, repeat this after me. Can we have the next slide, Jewel? Oh, sorry, mate. We're still at the city. Okay. Done a great job. Thanks, mate. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I'm going to say it again. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What am I called to do? Magnify the Lord. Now, the thing is this. I'm not Sherlock Holmes. But the thing is this. When I magnify something, say I magnify an ant. Okay, now John's good with these sorts of things, technical questions. If I magnify an ant, John, does the ant become any bigger? 
No, the ant doesn't become bigger. What does? My concept, my perspective of the ant. That's what becomes bigger. Now, the devil wants us to magnify our problems. When I magnify a problem, does a problem actually become any bigger? The same problem, but what does? My perspective, my concept. That's what becomes bigger, okay? I magnify, that's what the devil wants me to do. Magnify my weaknesses, my failures, my shortfalls, the shortfalls of others, okay? He wants to belittle my God, okay? thing is this. Now I need to just do this really quickly. All my props. <clears throat> what do you see here? Piece of paper. Piece of what sort of paper? Blank paper. Okay. What did you say? A4 paper. <laughs> I love it. Well, isn't someone that's smart? Bless. Now, what do you see? Okay. What do you see? A dot. Okay. Now, tell me something. When you look at this piece of paper, what do you see? A dot. Where's that focus? On the dot. And we lose perspective. Okay. We lose sight. There's a whole, you know, we look at one little dot. That's exactly how the devil wants to work, okay? Focus on the small things. You know, those things become the obsession, the worries, the, 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 the things I'm concerned about. Those become the obsessions, okay? And that's how the enemy works. Whereas, I need to focus on Christ. Is that true? Right. Now, we keep going up and down for some reason or other. Anyway, bless the Lord. Must be the power thing, power surge or whatever. Now, <laughs> many hour, Donnie, come out here. Donnie, what do you see? I see the cross. You see the cross. What are we called to focus on? Christ, the cross, the finished work, okay? Donnie, what do you see? <laughs> Come on, what do you see? I see the cross. <laughs> I see the cross. What do you see? The cross. What do you see? The, cr the pen. What do you see? <laughs> the pen. The pen. Point, mate. Okay, thanks, mate. <laughs> Okay, thing is, go Donnie, yeah, okay. Thing is, that's how the enemy works. Has his focus on our weakness, there's shortfalls. Nehemiah's, you know, where was his focus? You know, where did the enemy try to take his focus off? His awesome God. The work that he was going to complete through him. Okay, he had his trust in his, in his God, okay. He wasn't going to focus on the devil or his weaknesses, his shortfalls, his inadequacies, from the one who overcame, okay, our overcomer. When I magnify my Savior, when I magnify the Lord, does he get any bigger? It's not a trick question. How can he get any bigger? I walked last night with Jet down the, you know, went for a walk, you know, and man, that's a beautiful starlit night. I thought, what an awesome God. What an amazing God. He flung that furthest star into place. Over a hundred octillion stars out there. Millions and millions and millions of light years away. We serve a big God. We serve an incredibly humble God. Our God who would humble himself the nth degree, take on the flesh of fallen man, and go, and though perfect and sinless, die the death of a sinner on the cross in place of you and me. Okay? What an amazing God. What an awesome God. He doesn't get any bigger He's big. He's right here with us right now. He indwells us. His Spirit, if we've accepted Christ, His Spirit indwells us. Okay? He's with us right now. When I magnify the Lord, 
he becomes my focal point. Okay? Now David gives the key in this. He says this. I will bless the Lord at all times. How often does he bless the Lord? All times. Sometimes. Okay, all times. All times. I'll bless the Lord at all times. The thing is this. Do you feel, get me there, be honest. Timmy, be honest. Timmy, do you feel like blessing the Lord at all times? Okay. That's bad, Timmy. <laughs> None of us feel like blessing the Lord at all times. It's a thing of faith. When God says to forgive someone, do I feel like forgiving someone who's offended me? Do I feel like blessing that person? Of course not. I don't feel like doing that. But it's a thing of faith. I step out in faith. It's actually we walk a walk of faith as Christians. And God always honors faith. If I choose to bless the Lord at all times in my circumstances and my situations, whatever they might be, God will always honor that. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. My soul, my mind, my will. My, I, David says, soul, praise the Lord. Okay? I choose to give you praise. Paul has this sort of thought in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. He says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Our God inhabits the praises of his people. The enemy's realm is fear, unbelief, worry, negativity. Okay, that's where his little playground is. Okay? As I start to praise my God, as I start to focus my eyes on the cross, what was done for me, okay, then things become very, very different. I see the bigger picture. What's the bigger picture that God's trying to work in my life? And there's two things we take with us to heaven. I was with this guy years ago. I wasn't going to say this. And I went to his house. He's a very lonely guy. It's quite sad, really. And he had these beautiful recliner chairs. He says, when I get to heaven, how are my recliner chairs going to take my wings. <laughs> it's kind of sad. We don't take reclining chairs with us to heaven. We don't take treasures, worldly treasures. Okay? And we don't get wings either, by the way. But the thing is this. What we do take to heaven with us is the souls we've influenced in this life. We have influence on souls. The people around us we love and pray for. Okay? What's the other thing we take to heaven with us? the character that God develops in my life while here on this planet. God's about working character in our hearts and lives. Okay? He wants us to be fruit-bearing. The fruit of His Spirit. That work. You know, the fruit of God's Spirit in Galatians, we read 5, 22, 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of God's Spirit is born out of adversity. It's so easy to love someone who loves me. And I know Simon loves me. Even when I beat him at golf, he's amazingly humble. <laughs> he's a beautiful man. I love this guy. And, uh, and the thing is, that it's so easy to love Simon. It's so, because you know, there's, there's no drama here. But it's not so easy to love someone who doesn't love me. Okay? And that requires faith. In those times, there's the opportunity for fruit to be born in my life if I choose to abide in Christ, to rest in Christ. Because the only way I can 
you know, we see the, the joy. This joy isn't joy. happiness. Happy times because everything is happy and good, you know. Kesarasara, you know, it's all, it's all good, it's all happy. You know, it's not about that. It's, it's about joy that comes in my times of trial. The Apostle Paul writes 14 times in the book of Philippians. He, he uses the word joy or rejoice. And the guy is chained to a prison wall. Okay? His focus isn't on his circumstances. His focus is on his God. It's about relationship. Okay? thing is this. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. And man... If a man remains in me, if he abides in me, he'll bear much fruit. And he says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, there's no eternal value in anything outside of the relationship with Christ. And there's nothing of any eternal value outside that relationship. So we need to convince ourselves that. Father, we are so, so need you. We so need your loving spirit to work your grace within our hearts and lives. Father, I pray that God help us each in this place to fix our eyes on you. God, to begin to worship you and praise you and determine that in our every situation, to put you first, to exhort you, Father. And regardless of what's gone down in our past, I think that you're the God of the present. You're the God who's the healer, the restorer. I thank you, Father God, you restore. Oh God, I just thank you, Father, your precious heart towards your people. And we bless you this day. I pray for any here this morning that's struggling, Father whether it be in health, whether it be with financial problems, whether it be relational problems, or wherever it might be, that, Father, you bless them and release them and encourage them. Father, help us, I pray, each of us, to fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think Paul's going to take over. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Thanks, Laurie. Great message. Yeah. Isn't it good? Uh, Laurie, I just want to thank you. You just made it very clear of uh, our shortcomings, but also of God's goodness and God's grace to us. And um, who loves a second chance? Who loves a third chance? (laughs) Sorry, sweetie. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yes. When we get that forgiveness and we get let go, we get just clean slate. Who loves a butt in the Bible? Yep. <laughs> I love a good butt in the Bible. Because God has got a second chances. And God's a God who wants brand new, restored, healthy and whole people. I just want to read this passage out of 1 Corinthians 6. It says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In the blood of Jesus is no regular, ordinary blood. The blood of Jesus is the blood of God, spilt for us. And in the blood of Jesus is the power to forgive, 
and is the power of brand new life. And right here this morning, Laurie just presented a message for us. And I think we respond to that. We respond to the cross. The cross is presented, but we've got to respond to it. You know, and if you're here and you know you need a brand new start, you look in your heart and it's filled and it's disgusting and gross and your spirit's dead. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you've done wrong and you don't know how to get out of it. Right now, today, Jesus is here and he's reaching out to you and his blood is there to wash and to cleanse and to make you a brand new person, to start your life fresh in Jesus. And all it takes is just faith and asking God for repentance and forgiveness and just saying, Lord, I need you. I need a brand new start. I need to be washed. I need to be cleaned. I just come to you, Jesus. So just right now, just here, you know, doing it publicly is powerful. Doing it publicly in front of people and making a stand for your life is powerful. Because when you stand before God, it's not going to be you and your friends. It's going to be you and you alone. And why not right now, right now, make a stand for your life? And if you want to do that, I'm just going to ask you, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. If that's you here today, you want to respond in your heart to Jesus, just raise your hand. Don't raise it for me. Raise it to God who is in heaven. Raise it to the Lord who is in heaven. Because he's looking at your heart. He's looking at and he's speaking to you. Thank you for raising your hand. He's speaking to you right now. And his love is washing over you. The Holy Spirit's love is washing over you. He's forgiving you and he's washing you and he's cleansing you and he's making you whole because he loves you. And he cares about you and he's going to give you a brand new start and a brand new hope and a brand new